as Elaine mentioned earlier, we've been going out. Yesterday, uh, we went out for the second time uh, to canvas the neighborhood around Ramsey Park and let people know about the park day. And uh, what's interesting, we've, we've already covered all the ground in, in pretty much two Saturdays. The last time, it took us four Saturdays to cover, so that means we're going to be able to cover more area and invite more people, and that's great. And it's been really, really kind of a, a neat what we found this time around is that a lot of people remember us from the time before, and, and I've found we've had more conversations, and people are, are opening up a little bit, and that's exactly what we, you know, that's exactly what we were wanting, is to, to be able to make connections and begin to form relationships with people, and so that's just gone really, really well, and I encourage you, if you have any availability, next Saturday, we'll be doing it again for the next two Saturdays before the park day, and I think next Saturday, some of our regulars will be gone, so We'll need, we'll need someone to sit, step in and, and fill in the gap. So anyone who is available or, you know, you can recruit fa- friends and family members. That would be great. Uh, it's just, it, that's been one of the highlights, I think, is that those Saturdays going around and canvassing the neighborhood are really not just promotion. That is bec- that, I see that as part of the ministry, really. Because as we go around and tell them, we also ask if they need prayer for anything. Uh, and, you know, sometimes they, they say no, but sometimes they say yes. And uh, so... We are able to minister in a very simple way that we would not have otherwise. So today we are continuing in our series on uh, what it looks like when the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms the culture of a church. And uh, because churches, as we've talked about, have cultures, they have like economies, and sometimes the cultures are strong and healthy, and sometimes they are not healthy. And this is something I think intuitively we all know we've talk before, uh, how many of you have ever had a bad experience in a church environment, all right? Just be honest. How many of you have had a bad experience at church? All right. Hope, and I said, hopefully, that wasn't here, but it, maybe it was. Um, it, when, and when people have bad church experiences, it's always because, oh, most of the time, I'll say, most of the time it's because the culture of that church was not healthy. Maybe uh, you, someone encountered... Um, sort of a power struggle within a church. There was not humility or grace or something like that. Maybe, maybe some, you, know, you encountered a very self-centered attitude. You're, you're in my pew kind of thing, uh, and, and that was the bad church experience. But for most often, bad church experiences that people have, you can trace it back to something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ has formed and shaped, or you could even say infected, the culture of that church. So we've been talking about what does it look like when a church culture, the culture of a local congregation, or maybe even a denomination, what does it look like when that is shaped by the gospel? And today we're going to continue that and look at something I think is going to hit really, really close to home. Uh, So as we get into this, I want to invite you to say a word of prayer both with me and also for me. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you. You are good. And we are here not because of our goodness. We are not here because we are the smart ones or the good ones or the dutiful ones. We are here as broken sinners who have been found and redeemed and forgiven by your grace in Jesus Christ. We are here knowing that any righteousness that we bear is not belong to us, but has been given to us by Christ. It is his. And we thank you for that. We are here by grace and by grace alone. We are here because of the gospel. And we pray that you would help us to 
believe ever more strongly and deeply in the gospel, that it would not just be something that roams around in our head, but that penetrates our hearts and so transforms the way that we live, both as individuals and as a body together. So as we dive into this and look at at these powerful words from Paul's letter where he spells out what it looks like for a congregation in the church to be shaped and formed by the good news of Jesus. We pray that you, I, that you would not only enlighten our minds, but that you would transform our hearts. And we ask all this in Christ's good name. Amen. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. Amen. Amen. Well, here's what we've talked about so far. The first characteristic of a gospel-centered church if you remember, it was that it's outward focused, outward focus. And we looked at all this comes from Romans chapter 15. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 15. Um, Paul wrote, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We are not about pleasing ourselves, but serving others. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good that's a, a good definition of love in action, isn't it? That, to love someone is not to feel good feelings toward them, but to act for their good. Um, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Uh, so in a church, in a congregation, where the gospel of Jesus Christ has taken hold, the hearts of the people are going to be moved and transformed in such a way that we're not bent inward toward me, 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 me. We're bent outward toward the needs of, of those around us. Um, that that when, a gospel takes a ho- when the gospel takes a hold of a church culture, uh, we're, we're, we're concerned about the those who are not here yet. We're the one organization in the world that's, that is, is driven by and focused on not the needs of its members, but the means, needs of those who are not members. That's what's unique about a, a, the church. The second characteristic of a gospel-centered church is that it's scripture-centered. Paul also wrote, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. A gospel-centered church's culture is uh, centered around ways of thinking and living uh, that the gospel communicates to us, right? Uh, so we looked about that. I looked at that. Last week. Today, we're going to look at a third thing the gospel does in a church culture. And as we get into this, I think we're going to see how powerful this one is. And, and I'm going to start by saying, all right, how many of you, I mean, just think about it, how many of you, you what, one of the things that you've really wanted, whether, whether you verbalize it like this or not, but what you really wanted is to be a part of a community where you could really be yourself. You could be part of a community where you were so accepted uh, and so welcomed, and this sort of bleeds into what we're going to do next week, but, but you were so accepted that you could be completely who you are, and that even when you, your bad side, so to speak, comes out, or the biblical language, when you sinned against another, there was forgiveness, and there was grace, and there was reconciliation, and you knew no, no matter what, you're going to belong, and you're going to be loved. And you're going to be received. And so, so it, you know, how many of you have always wanted to be a part? You've wanted to be a part of a community where you are accepted and you can be yourself, right? That's, that's, that's what we all want, isn't it? Yeah. That's what we want. Um, now, 
That's what, what we're going to see today is that that's when the gospel really takes hold in a church culture, that's what the church becomes. Now, the irony is that in most of the time, church is the last place you feel like you can be yourself. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. I, I've heard so often, you know, and I, we think we've all experienced it. You come to church, and, and you kind of have to, there's a part of your life you've got to hide, and, there, and, and you kind of have to fake it, because church is a place for the good people, right? It's for the good people. And, and we all know, deep down, there's a part of us that doesn't fit in with, with a, a, a community of good people. And so we kind of have to leave that behind, and we have to plaster it over, and we have to fake it so that we fit in. Right? You ever experienced that? Oh, I have. Yeah. Not here. Hopefully. That's one of the, yeah, that's one of the good things about Highland. I, I think we can be... More real here than probably some other, but, but that's what the church is supposed to be like. It's not supposed to be a place where you have to hide. It's supposed to be a place where you can be fully yourself and be authentic and know that you're going to belong and know that you're going to be welcome. That's what Paul is going to say is, is what the church is supposed to be. All right, so here we're going to launch in. Romans 15, verse 5. This is what he writes. May the God of endurance and encouragement, he's used those words before, grant you to live in such what? Say it with me. Harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. All right? He's saying that the call is that when we live and breathe the good news of Jesus Christ, what it does is it creates in us harmony. It creates a community of harmony that lives in accord with Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to have to launch into this because I don't know about you, but when I think of harmony, I, I think of something different. And I think this, is, this may be what you think of. When I think of harmony, this is, this is what I tend to think of. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing, sing with me. that song will be running around your head for the rest of the day. You're welcome. So, yeah, I think of harmony. I think of hippies, all right? That, that's kind of what I think about. And, uh, but, you, you know, have you ever thought about it? That, that was one of the most successful commercials in the history of American culture, right? And I think there's a reason for that, for all the silliness. It, it did touch on something, right, that we all want to live in harmony, and, and, and what brings harmony is authenticity. It's re the real thing. Now, obviously, the, the, the sly lie of the commercial is that a soft drink can bring about 
uh, unity and authenticity and harmony, right? Um, but that, that's what I tend to think about when I think of harmony. But what Paul is talking about, I think, is something different. That what he's saying is that there's something about the good news about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And, and when, when it really sinks into our heart and our soul, because so often what happens is we, you know, we kind of believe it up here. And I've heard an old saying that, that most people who miss heaven miss heaven by 18 inches, which is a distance from their head to their heart, right? Have you heard that? That, that um, we believe it up here, but it never really sinks down and transforms our lives. And when the gospel makes that 18-inch journey, right, to our hearts, that it really does transform the culture of the community that you're in, the church community that you're in, and brings about a kind of harmony. It brings people together in a way that nothing else can. And we really find this all throughout the New Testament. It's worded in different ways, but it's really everywhere. Peter, when Peter, the apostle Peter, he was one of the apostles who traveled with Jesus. Uh, many of you know he's the one who denied Jesus three times and you know the, the rooster crows and all that kind, all that kind of stuff. Um, this is how Peter wrote it in one of his letters. He wrote, he wrote, once you were not a people, right? Once you were, you did not belong anywhere. There was not a place where you could truly belong and, and have unity and harmony. But now you are a people. You are the people of God. That's what the gospel has done. Uh, the gospel brings people who have had nothing in common together and forms them into a people, into a family. Now, I think the way that you, we can understand how the gospel does this is we can simply look at what are the main things in, in any community, but especially a church community, that would hinder or prevent unity and authenticity and, and you know, kind of being unified together. And if you look at the things that would damage unity, the gospel destroys all of those things, right? So you think about what what's some things that destroy unity? One of them would simply be pride and a desire for recognition, right? That's something that's part of the, the human condition. It's one of the most the easy ways in which we see human sinfulness is that we want recognition. You know, me, 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 me. We want to be recognized. We want to get what's, what's our due. Um, we want to get what's coming to us. We, we, pride is what leads us to want to be right, right? You ever, you ever experienced that? Right? So you, some, you just want to be right. Or someone, maybe it's a, you know, your spouse or your kids or a coworker. They just want, have to be right, have to get the last word, right? Yeah, how, many, how many of you have experienced that? Yeah, maybe it's you. You've got to get the last word. That's pride, okay? And does, that, does pride bind us together? And bring us together, or does it tend to have the opposite effect? It has the opposite effect, doesn't it? Um, well, the gospel destroys that. If you really think about what the gospel, what the gospel is, the gospel is that the, the, it begins as bad news, right? That I am, I am a a sinner who has a, have estranged myself from the presence and the grace of God, and that my sin is so deep. That it has infected not only uh, the bad that I have done, but the good that I have done. That even the good that I can do, if I brought that before God and offered it to God, that it would be unacceptable because it is still tainted by my sinfulness. That's what Isaiah writes. That our, even our good deeds are like filthy rags before the Lord. That I am in desperate, radical need of a Savior. That Christ came, died for my sin, took upon himself my sin, gave me his 
perfect life of obedience and righteousness so that I can be forgiven and stand before God and be adopted into God's family. It is grace from beginning to end that all the glory goes to Christ and not to myself. And, and, and that's the gospel. And, and, you know, when you live that and breathe it and believe it, it's going to shatter every remnant of pride and need of recognition in my heart. And Wesley, Wesley was really good about this. Wesley said, you know what? To the extent that we have faith in the gospel, it's going to drive that out. And so if I have a moment of pride and I need to be recognized, and so there's that, the, the part of my heart that that is coming from, Wesley said, that's a part of, of my heart that has not believed the gospel. Because the gospel and that kind of pride cannot coexist, Right? So you can see how it, when the gospel takes hold of a church culture, it's going to drive out that pride and that need of recognition. You know, It's going to drive out someone getting upset because you didn't put their name up in lights for something that they gave or they did. You know, it's, it's going to just drive all that out. Um, pride can't even stand in the midst of the gospel. Here's a bigger threat to harmony that the gospel destroys. It's judgmentalism, right? This is probably... One of the most common uh, sources of the bad church experience. You came into a church environment, a church community, and you know our lives weren't all together. We were messed up. We're broken by sin. We come into a congregation, and we find accusation. Right? We find accusation. Um, we find that we were accused because our lives didn't match up with the standard that was set. And a church environment that is tuned to accusation is not a church environment that's been shaped by the gospel. I think that's what Paul here is saying. Um, it may be shaped by pride. It may be a church environment that's shaped by pride and shaped by self-righteousness. There's this understanding that we're the good people, right? And that, that it's been shaped by that, but it hasn't been shaped by the gospel. Um, there's a great book that, that came out now. It's, it's, I can't believe this, but it's been out now for about 12 years called No Perfect People Allowed. And, and the, uh, the, the writer, he's a pastor from Austin, Texas, basically wrote, and the whole book was about how we should transform our understanding of church, that church is for the good people. The church is a place where no perfect people are allowed. If you got your life together or you think you got your life together, church is not the place for you. It was really a very provocative book, but healthy book, Right? Because let's be honest, how many of us have our lives together? Yeah. Um. Oh, good. You, see, you guys are honest. I was I'll wait to see if anyone's hand shot up. Um. Now, here's how, we see, here's how we see this. We see it in Jesus. You know, have you ever been amazed that the people whose lives were the most broken and destroyed by sin... The, the people who were shut out from the religious establishment of first century Judea. They were the people who were the most attracted to Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? The people whose lives, the people who were the worst sinners, were the first ones to, to, to go to Jesus. That they, they loved Jesus. Jesus who, listen... And it's not because Jesus said, oh, yeah, all that stuff in the Bible, all the stuff in the Old Testament about, you know, do this, don't do this, the moral demands of God. It's not because Jesus said, oh, hey, don't worry about that. And Jesus didn't lower the standard, right? Uh, Jesus, what did he do? He rose it. 
right? Jesus said, hey, yeah, you know in the Old Testament where it says don't commit adultery? <laughs> it's, it's worse than that. I say to you that if you even look at a woman or man or what have you with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. Hey, you remember in the Old Testament where it says don't, don't commit murder? I say to you if you harbor anger in your heart and unforgiveness in your heart and you allow that bitterness in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus took the moral demands of the Old Testament and he raised them. Matter of fact, at the end of that Sermon on the Mount, he said, oh yeah, just in case I haven't been clear, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus said, you thought the moral of the man was here? It's way up here. And yet, the people whose lives were most broken by sin loved Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You know why? Because with Jesus, they found that they were 100% safe. They were 100% accepted. They were 100% received and loved. While, listen, listen, while their sin was not safe. Their sin was not safe with Jesus. Because Jesus was the one, he, he just always said this. You know, when Jesus went to carry you, he'd say, he'd say, yeah, 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 this is good, this is good. But you know, you got this one thing. And he he just put his finger right on the one thing, the one area of your life and your heart that you wanted to hold back, the one area of disobedience and and idolatry and self-will that you wanted to hold back, he would go right to that. He would beeline to it and say, you got got to deal with this. You remember? Woman at the well? Yeah, 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 worship, worship, worship here, worship there. Hey, go call your husband. Oh, you don't have one. You're right. You've had five. And the guy you're with now doesn't even love you enough to give you a ring in his name. He goes right to the issue, doesn't he? Rich young ruler, right? Oh, I've done all the commandments. Yeah, you have. One more thing you got to do, Jesus said. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Because that was his thing, wasn't it? You ever read that and you worry, oh, is Jesus going to call me to do the same thing? The answer is, it depends. <laughs> if your idol is the same as his, that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going he's to come to the one thing you want to say, oh, no, no, don't, don't mess with that. That's the one thing Jesus is going to hit. And yet, and yet, sinners loved him because that he communicated you are safe while your sin is not. How powerful would it be? That, that's what the church is supposed to be. That's what the church is supposed to be. Now, in church world, we tend to do, we tend to go, we tend to err in one of two ways. We'll either say, you are 100% safe here, and so is your sin. Because your sin really isn't all that bad. You just keep on going. Because God loves you no matter what, which is true. And God, God doesn't really want you to, to change anything, which is not true, right? We either do that, or we go the other way and say, your sin is not safe here, and neither are you. That's, that's what tends to happen in church world, isn't it? How powerful would it be if, like Jesus, we were able to communicate, you are 100% safe in this place, your sin is not. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. A church culture that his gospel shape does the same thing that Jesus did. And what it looks like is that the church environment is an environment not of accusation, 
but of advocacy. See, I think that's the key of advocacy. When someone comes and their life is broken, it's less of the finger pointing of you've got this wrong and you need to change. It's, it's, it's more of you've got this sin in your life just like I've got sin in my life. What, how can we support one another in embracing the gospel and being set free of the sin which is enslaving our hearts and our lives? It's advocacy. It's, it's an environment that says we are safe. Our sin is not. We're going to do everything we can to support one another within the gospel so that we can be set free together from the sin that we all battle in our lives. And yours is different from mine, but we all have it. And, and let, us, let us live the gospel together in such a way that we can be set free and support one another and pray for one another. It's advocacy, not accusation. And what that does is, is it creates an environment where people can really be authentic. I can't say it. Authentic. There we go. Yeah. It creates an environment where people can be authentic. I think that's a sign. It, it, the sign of, well, are we really living this out? Because, you know, the response we're always going to want to say is, yeah, well, yeah, we're living this out. Well, the test is, do we feel, can we be fully authentic? That's, that's, can we be fully authentic? Do we feel safe in confessing? I've got this sin that's just owning me. And I repent, and I repeat, and I repent, and I repeat it, and I repent. I just, I need help. To the extent that we feel safe in confessing those kinds of things, is the extent I think that we can gauge is our church how, how shaped by the gospel is the culture of our church. Amen? Amen. Right? How powerful would that be, though? Um, how powerful would it be? And you think about it, uh, so many churches, it's just, it's just not that way, is it? Uh, again, church, church is the last place where you can really be yourself. You've got to, you've got to fake it. And you have to pretend. And we know where have we failed that so often the church culture is like that. And I, I, the area that we failed is we haven't really believed the gospel because we see church as a place for the good people. Uh, it's a place for the righteous people. It's like a museum where you display your virtue for everybody, right? But the problem is, uh, when we're honest, none of us are really all that good or all that righteous or all that virtuous. And so if we, if we, church is a place for the good people where we display our virtue and in reality we're not really all that good, what, what, what's the response? The response is, you fake it. And that's the way, that, 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 I mean, that, let's be honest, that's the way so often church is. Let's repent of that, right? Let's repent of that and seek to change it. Because what we're, what we're reading here is that a church is shaped by the gospel does not understand itself and doesn't live out its, its life like a museum where you display virtue. It lives itself out like a hospital for sinners. It's like a hospital. It's like a mash unit where people come in to have their wounds bound up in the war against sin, where they can receive, where they can confess and confess safely, and they can receive a word of forgiveness and absolution and support and the good news of, what, of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. See, I believe, I don't, you know, I've never seen a case where accusation has driven someone to repentance and driven someone to Jesus. But you know what I found? The gospel draws people to repentance, and the gospel draws people to grace and to, to a changed life. 
And how powerful would it be if a congregation lives that out? This is why in our small, if you've been in one of our small groups, you've probably noticed that, uh, you know, we, we kind of do whatever the small group, do whatever the, the curriculum is, and then at the end, we, we, we usually ask something like, how is it with your soul? How is it with your walk with Jesus? And that's something that we have done intentionally in our small groups. And, and listen, you know what we found? That the question, how is it with your walk with Jesus? How is your spiritual life? Is that an easy question to answer? No. It's horrible, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's terrible, right? It's the last thing we want to talk about. And we're not used to talking about it. I think that's one of the reasons it's hard. We're not used to talking about it. But the reason we're not used to talking about it is not a good thing, right? It's, that it's, it's, again, a culture where church is a place for good people, you don't need to talk about your spiritual life. and You don't need to talk about where you need prayer and where you need support. The reason that that question is important, even though it feels really vulnerable, is that accountability to one another is one of the most important ways we grow in our walk with Jesus, especially when it comes to besetting sins. Right? I found that those sins that keep coming back, those, we call them besetting sins. It's a thing that you battle, right? It's a thing that you battle. You battle it over and over and over again. I found that besetting sins that we only confess to God are sins that we tend to repeat. Have you found that? Sins that we only confess to God, we tend to repeat. Now, we should confess our sins to God. When the Bible says, don't just confess your sins to God, confess your sins to one another. You know what I found? The besetting sins that I confess to someone else, a brother or sister in Christ, is a sin I tend to be free of pretty quickly. And so I think the call for us as a church how can we form the kinds of environments where people feel safe doing that? And that's what we're seeking to do. It's scary, isn't it? But you know what else it is? There's a power in that kind of community. Because that's the kind of community where people's lives are going to change. That's a gospel-centered community. Here's another thing that it does, though. If you have environments where people feel comfortable talking about their spiritual life and where they're struggling and theirs or their family, is that when a community is doing that, and it's not just, it's not just all the church, it's, it's the church leaders and the pastors in those groups saying, you know what, yeah, I got this area and I'm struggling with it and it's owning me. That communicates something. When that's going on, like if I were in a group, a church group, and I, I, I find the guts and the, the grace and the gospel to say, hey, I'm a sinner, and I need help with this. Not just sin in general, but this sin here. Like if someone was visiting that group, they could be like, wow. If the, if the pastor can do that, and, and this, this leader in the congregation can do that, I can do that. And if, if they're doing that, this is a place where I'm safe. I don't have to fake it here. You know, I think when you're in an environment like that, you can see it. Like, you know, shoulders just kind of relax, right? <sighs> People just sort of, right? You got your guys, you know, you can, you can finally, oh, you can let your gut out and quit sucking it in, right? It's that kind of environment. 
We all do it, by the way. Ladies, we do it. When y'all all leave, you know, we, oh, you know, the, we just quit sucking it in. Um, when, when the gospel takes over a church, it becomes the safest place for sinners. While at the same time, it's not a safe place for sin. And when that happens, grace, it begins to like oxygenate the air. And people, people actually start enjoying coming to the body of Christ. Because they know that's the one place in the world that they can be real. How po- that's the power of a church community. It's not about what kind of facilities you got. Ain't about all, it ain't all. It's, it's about, is it the kind of environment where people can truly be real and truly be honest because they know that they are safe and that their sin isn't? That's the power of that kind of environment. One of the, one of the most powerful books I've ever read uh, outside the Bible is a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer named Life Together. And in the book, he talks about Christian community. And one of the things that he writes about in Life Together is he, he wrote about what he called the wish dream. The wish dream. And the wish dream was like your ideal version of church, of a church community. It's like the version of the church that we want. And in a way, in a way, you know, we should have that. We should always be seeking to strengthen areas of the church where we're not really fully faithful. But when our vision for the church becomes a wish dream is when we start, start comparing and we stop loving our church because it's not really meeting our expectations. And, and this is a danger. This can happen in every relationship, right? Uh, we all have a, a wish dream spouse, right? But the trouble comes in when we, we start comparing our actual real spouse to our wish dream spouse. And, of course, you know, no one can ever measure up to the wish dream spouse or the wish dream kids or the, you know, whatever it may be. The problem is when you start comparing, right, and the reality doesn't match up to the dream. And uh, so there's disillusionment, and sometimes people bail, and, you know, it happens with relationships, it happens with churches. Um, so for the church, it could be the wish dream that a church is a place where everyone will be nice to me, right? But because the church is not a, a museum for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners, we are sinners. And so will everyone at church always be nice to us? The answer is no, no, right? Um, so Bonhoeffer talks about how when we find ourselves frustrated with our Christian community, we should actually be thankful to God that he's put us in this position because it means now we know we have a wish dream that needs to be shattered by God. And he says, he writes, we should never let our wish dream frustrate the love that we have for our church that God has given us. That the church that we wish for is not a substitute for the church we actually have. The church we have is the one God wants us to have. It's the one that God wants us to love because the gospel doesn't come to a wish dream church. The gospel comes to a church where people are broken and sinful and messy and need help. This is what Bonhoeffer writes. He writes, Life together in the forgiveness, live together rather, in the forgiveness of your sins. Forgive each other every day from the bottom of your heart. Which is another way of saying, live out the gospel. Live out the gospel. Um, Live out the fact that the church is a hospital for sinners. And that's going to create an environment 
where people feel safe and they know that they're safe and they can be themselves because it's a place where we are forgiven and the grace of Jesus Christ is going to forgive us of all unrighteousness. So, what do we do with this? All right, I got three things. And this is not like scientific. This is just three things I thought of. That, but here, here's one. If the church is a hospital for sinners, inevitably, we are going to anger one another, right? We're going to hurt each other's feelings. Uh, we're going to offend one another. When that happens, when that happens, and it, it inevitably will, because we are not a museum for saints, we live out the gospel. We live out the gospel. All right? Uh, that means being honest with one another. Um, I'm going to pick Brenda because Brenda's the last person who would ever offend me. So, so if, you know, if Brenda, if Brenda offended me by making fun of the fact that Florida State got hammered yesterday in basketball or something, I don't know. I know. That's why it's safe to do this. Um, you know, rather than just what we typically do would, no, I can't believe she said that. You know, it just grows into bitterness and then ultimately I'm going to go find another church because this church is rotten, right? When really it's just us, we're all sinners. You know, Brenda, I need to talk to you about something. And then, you know, Brenda would say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't, you know, I apologize. And, oh, I forgive you. And, you know, because Christ forgave me. Where there's confession and there's forgiveness, that's, that's the gospel. The gospel is not the church is perfect and no one ever hurts our feelings. The gospel is inevitably when people do, and that's sort of a, you know, silly example, but we, we live out the gospel. We confess we forgive, we receive absolution. That's, that's the gospel. And when we experience that inevitable disappointment with the church, we remind ourselves, here, here's something you can remember. Hospital for sinners. Hospital for sinners. You can just say it back and forth. Anytime time you, you're like, well, you know, boy, that happened and that shouldn't have happened because it's a church. That happens all the time, right? Something happened you're like, oh, that shouldn't have happened because this is a church. You just remind yourself, hospital for sinners. Hospital for sinners. Hospital for sinners. This is not a museum for a bunch of saints. This is a hospital for sinners. Right? That's just living out the gospel. That's living out the gospel. And continue to work as we try and form environments where there's a level of trust and, and, and we're comfortable enough in, in the groups that we're in that we're able to share. I need support here. I need help here. This is a sin that I need to confess. Let's continue to work to build those kinds of environments so that the gospel uh, can be what shapes our culture. Listen, one of the great things about Highland Park is I think that there, there, is a, 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 there is a part of our church DNA already which makes us um, a, a part of who we are. I think, I think, I believe, that we are a place that is much, much... It, being accepting of wherever you are just tends to be in our DNA. Let's leverage that. Let's strengthen that. Let's use that because there's something about the DNA of our congregation. I believe we can, we can be even more than we already are, the kind of church where everyone feels welcomed and accepted and they can be who they are because we are living out the gospel. Amen?